0: Welcome back to the Chris Gates Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me once again. I'm uh, super excited that you're here to dive into part two of our discussion on everything you need to know about recovering from your workouts. So this is uh, part two of a series. Last week, uh, we we did part one on the podcast, uh, and if you haven't checked that out, uh, I would highly recommend you go and listen to that episode first before you dive into this second episode this part two episode because in episode one last week we dove into a lot of the foundational stuff related to recovery and your workouts and you know things you need to understand and uh, you know learn how to manage. Uh, in order to best recover from your workouts. And we really focused on a lot of the things that are most important. So uh, we talked about what recovery is just, you know, in general, um, and then talked about both strength training and cardio and the recovery demands that those different modalities of exercise uh, cause for you, cause for your body, you know, and that's really important for you to be aware of and understand Uh, if you are regularly exercising really in any way, because chances are if you're exercising, uh, you're either doing cardio or strength training, or perhaps a combination of both. Uh, Then we dove into what I think are the top two most important things for you to focus on with your recovery. And those are uh, sleep first and foremost, and then your diet. Okay. So really, really important stuff. Again, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would highly recommend that you go over to part one, listen to that, and then come back to this episode and dive into part two. In part two, we're going to touch on a number of additional variables for your recovery. And even though in part one, we talked about the most important ones, these ones still are really important, okay? And uh, we're going to talk a lot about things that you should Uh, factor into your routine uh, like rest days, taking regular rest days, also planning deload weeks into your training program. Uh, We're also going to talk about just the role of stress and how that factors into your ability to recover well from your workouts. We'll talk about your age and what that means for recovery, because yes, depending on how old you are, whether it be your biological age, so actually how old you are, or your training age, aka how long you've been training, um, you will have you know, different types of recovery demands and different abilities, whether they be better or worse, to recover from your workouts. We're going to talk about supplementation and dive into you know what will help you, what's effective, what can work you towards better recovery, and then a bunch of additional recovery modalities that um, you know are popular and uh, may or may not actually support your level of recovery. So things like sauna cold tubs, cryotherapy, massage, uh, myofascial release, stressing, mobility. Like We're going to dive into a bunch of additional things there at the end of the episode here uh, to really kind of just close this series out on recovery and make it as well-rounded as possible. My goal here with both of these episodes has been to, at the end of it, touch on as much Practical information as I possibly can, and put it all in one place for you, so that you can always come back and reference this stuff, um, and so that you have a really good idea of what matters, uh, what doesn't, and what's most important for you. And uh, I mentioned this in part one. I'll mention it again here today. The goal here is to talk about everything you need to know, but not everything. And and by that I mean I'm not going to dive too deep into the science aspect of things and that's not to say because that's not important that's not to say because i don't you know agree with science or or that i don't follow the science because i absolutely do but i think like you can really get into the weeds when you're looking at research studies and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, I think what you listening need is just like, hey, this is important. Here's why, and here's what you should do. So we're going to try to make it as practically applicable as possible uh, so that you can listen to this episode and then take these nuggets of information and apply them to uh, your daily life and your training routine. So super excited to dive into part two here. Not only because I think this is great information, but uh, I just trained, uh, which is why I'm in a tank top. If you're watching the video episode, no, I'm not trying to show off my very mediocre shoulders and arms. Um, I just trained. I just had my post-workout meal, so I'm like in recovery mode right now. I still have some of my pre-workout in my system, so I'm energized and uh, I'm ready to dive in and yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to doing it. Real quick before we dive in to all of the details, just want to remind you, if you are new here, my name is Chris. I am an online fitness coach, and I work with people all over the world to build muscle, to burn fat, to develop healthy lifestyle habits, and really just to chase their fitness goals, whatever those goals may be. I like to take a lot of the guesswork out of the equation for my clients and give them the plan help them understand what to do, give them confidence that what they're doing is working, and then provide a ton of support along the way. So if that sounds like it's right up your alley and something you'd be interested in, there will be a link to my coaching page in the show notes of this episode uh, where you can go over to my website, learn more about online coaching, and uh, you know get the details on what that looks like. And if what you see there... Uh, continues to sound interesting and you like what you see, go ahead, submit an application and I will follow up with you so that we can talk more about what your goals are. But uh, okay, with that, let's dive into part two of this recovery bonanza extravaganza. And uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about are rest days and deload weeks. So, the concept of rest is super important for recovery. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about sleep in part one. So, I'm not going to dive back into that. But, um, you know, there's sleeping when you're asleep. And obviously, that's a form of rest. But there are other forms of rest where you're awake, but giving your body time to catch up on recovery. And I want to dive into those. So, the first one uh, is rest days. And I think, You know, it's really important for everyone to build these into their training program, and that includes you. Uh, You don't need to train every single day. And in fact, I would highly suggest against you doing that. Now, that's not to say that you can't uh, be active every day, but like in the gym, training hard seven days a week, just rarely pans out well for people. I can tell you that from experience, both personally and, uh, you know, with people who come to me, you know, as new clients, I often hear like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all this work, but I'm not seeing the progress I want. And I don't understand why. And a lot of the times it's like, Hey, cause you're doing so much that your body can't recover from all of it. Um, so I really don't uh, encourage you to train every single day. Really, I recommend the vast majority of people build two to three rest days uh, into your week uh, every single week. okay, I think that's really important because uh, well, we'll get we'll get to why that's so important here in a second. The other aspect of this is deload weeks and I, I think most people should take deload weeks, you know, once every couple of months. And and what I do with my clients is uh, right around every eight weeks or so, we'll hit a deload week. And um, that's really important to kind of scale things back. And, uh, you know, it's different from a rest day in that it's a week that you train, but we scale the intensity back quite a bit. So those two things, when combined in a training program, can really help you train for longer, uh, be fresher, more energized, and perform better when you train and then set you up for better recovery, which is obviously the thing that actually allows you to you know, train longer and be fresher and train, have good performance in the gym. So I do have an article on my website, How Often Should You Rest From Weight Training? Um, you can learn a lot more about rest days and deload weeks and all of the different details involved, but I'll give you some basic details uh, here on the podcast um, that are kind of like those need-to-know things for you to understand. So with training, whatever form of training you're doing, it takes a toll on your body. And I think that that probably makes a lot of sense to you. Um, and if you're doing it the right way, if you're progressively overloading where you're seeing the intensity of your workouts go up over time via, you know, you either being able to add more reps to an exercise, add more weight to an exercise, or perhaps over time, you're adding more sets to your different muscle groups in your body, um, whatever the case may be, your body is going to accumulate fatigue throughout that course of time, throughout a phase of training or a block of training or whatever you want to call it. Um, so there is some of that fatigue that you'll notice. And though that's often in the form of like, soreness in your muscles the day after training. I think everybody's pretty familiar with that. And also just general fatigue. Like The more you train, the more intense it gets. You may find yourself feeling more tired or sluggish outside of those training sessions. Um, So those are things that you notice, but there's actually a lot of fatigue that most people don't notice. Okay, And those come in the forms of central nervous system fatigue. Uh, Sometimes that happens if you're training very High intensity uh, for a very extended period of time. Uh, There's going to be wear and tear uh, on your joints and your tendons and your ligaments. And sometimes you notice that, sometimes you don't. Um, So there's a lot of stuff here that you notice and maybe you don't notice, but it all to your body and your brain are fatigue. Okay. So A deload week, let's talk about that. A deload week, I mentioned this a little bit just a minute or two ago, it's a scheduled week of time where you're going to continue to train. So whatever the workouts are that you've been doing, you're going to continue to do those. But the the difference during a deload week is that you're going to scale your workload back pretty considerably. So. The reason we do that is or, is to allow your body to still practice these movement patterns and these skills that you've been working on, still uh, maintain the gains and the muscle mass that you've built throughout this phase or this block of training, um, but allow your body to kind of catch up on recovery. It allows your body to clear out a lot of that fatigue. And again, that's the fatigue that you notice and the fatigue that you don't notice, um, and kind of get back to baseline so that you can dive into a new phase of training or a new block of training and continue training hard, continue seeing your performance go up and continue making all that progress. So I'll explain to you kind of how I manage this concept with my clients, um, So I already mentioned like the rest days, I like to have several rest days for my clients and we'll talk more about rest days here in a couple of minutes. Um, But with deload weeks, you know, how I like to structure things is most of the time, give or take, we'll have like eight week training blocks. That's what I'll do with my clients. So it'll be two, it'll it'll be eight week training blocks. And within that eight week training block, we'll have two four-week phases. That's how I like to set things up for for people. So in the first phase, we're getting to learn the new exercises and the new workouts and, you know, kind of acclimating to that. And then in the second phase, we're really trying to accumulate. We're trying to build on the workload, add intensity, add workload. Um, And then we get to like week seven, week eight, the intensity tends to be pretty high in those weeks. And at that point, then we hit a deload week where We're going to scale the intensity and the workload back uh, quite a bit, continue training, but let my client, let the person uh, catch up on recovery, get refreshed both mentally and physically so that we can dive into a new block of training after that. And I'll often reduce the workload by like, uh, give or take 30%. Um, So uh, what that means is like, if you're doing 15 sets In a workout, we'll maybe knock it down to ten. So that could be just like knocking one set off of each of the exercises we're doing. Um, You know, it could also be if you look at things across the week. Let's say maybe you're doing 15 sets for your chest, like that one muscle group. We we would back it down to 10 sets for chest for that muscle group. Um, Another thing I'll do uh, quite often is you know if we're doing barbell exercises or heavy compound exercises. I'll often reduce some of the load on those, so back the weight off because uh, those tend to be pretty highly fatiguing exercises. Um, and uh, those are just ways to continue training. Again, continue practicing these movement patterns and these exercises, but let your body catch up on recovery. And a lot of people struggle to do this. okay? a lot of people struggle to take deload weeks because I, because I think like the mindset is, well, if I'm scaling things back, Then I'm losing all my progress. I was working hard to get all this progress. And if I stop working as hard as I have been, I'm going to lose that progress. But in fact, these deload weeks actually set you up to make more progress over time. Okay. And uh, that's because you clear out all of that fatigue and because you get refresh not only physically but but mentally too. you know something a lot of people don't factor into the equation here is the toll the training can take on you mentally. and uh, what I often notice from my clients when we do deload weeks is that um, you know at the beginning of the week they'll be really thankful that it's a deload week because the intensity's lower and uh, you know they were pretty gassed, they were pretty worn out. Uh, But then when we get to like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of that deload week, then they're like, okay, I'm ready to train hard again. And that's exactly what you want. You want to not only get that physical recovery, but you want that mental recovery too, so that you feel energized and so that you feel like you're really looking forward to getting into the gym and training hard again, as opposed to feeling just burnt out all the time and Kind of dreading doing the same workouts that you've always been doing. Uh, You you don't want that to be the case. So often, like if you aren't taking deloads, that'll actually be a situation where you see that your progress plateaus, uh, which obviously nobody wants that. Uh, Or, you know, even worse, you, you find that you get injured. And both of these are because of overuse, because you didn't let your body catch up on recovery. You didn't get that you know, you didn't get refreshed. You didn't give yourself a chance to just decompress and uh, get back to baseline and get rested and relaxed and rejuvenated to train hard again. So deloads are a really, really big factor in proper recovery. And so are rest days. So talked about rest days a little bit already, but planned rest days. And like I said, I think two to three a week is best for most people, Uh, it's going to give your body time to recover and adapt from session to session. So Those deloads help you recover really from one training block to the next. The rest days during the week help you recover from one workout to the next workout. And this, for many of the same reasons, what we just talked about with deload weeks, like your muscles need time to recover so that your body can get back to baseline and continue training hard. Uh, You don't want to be unbelievably sore and just keep going into the gym super sore. Um, You're not going to be able to put forth your best effort if that's the case. Um, And if you're training every single day, you're putting more and more and more added recovery demands and needs on your body, which means you'll plateau sooner and you're actually going to realize less progress. I hope you're understanding here that like rest actually sets you up for more progress. It doesn't take away from the progress that you've made. So like if, as we're looking at a training block, like I mentioned before, like, okay, with my clients, I have these eight week training blocks. We have two, four week phases in that block. The goal of any training block is to train and train hard, and challenge yourself, and continue to do that, and make progress for as long as you possibly can. You're going to want to accumulate as much workload as you possibly can, because if you're able to continually scale that workload up, well, that only means that your body's adapting to the process, which can only mean that you're getting stronger, you're building muscle, and you're doing everything that you're intending to do with your workouts. Um, So you want to accumulate that workload for as long as possible, and this applies to, to virtually every type of training goal. Like I think I've mostly focused here on strength training, building muscle, getting stronger, but like it applies to cardio too. If you're doing tons and tons of cardio every single day, you're going to build up a lot of fatigue. You're going to get really drained. You may maybe not going to feel super energized. You're maybe going to feel pretty burnt out on doing what you're doing. And that could all be solved by giving yourself rest days and giving your body these deload weeks to actually be able to catch up and recover from all the work that you're throwing at it. So normally what we're looking at is like phase 1, phase 2, we get to week 8, and then we deload. And then deload helps you get refreshed and rejuvenated. Then we dive into a new training block and we repeat the process, okay? Uh deload weeks and rest days help set you up for more progress and more success and um yeah, I mean it's it's hard to understate the the impact of these two things. So, I really hope that you know if these aren't part of your normal routine uh, that you think strongly about making them part of your routine moving forward because they may be the missing piece and the key factor to you making more progress. All right, let's talk about stress. Let's get stressed out together. Huh? Let's do it. Um so You know, in part one and and here into the beginning of part two of this recovery uh, extravaganza, um, we've talked about things that are more or less under your control, more or less things that you can do to control your situations and, uh, you know, promote as high of recovery as possible. Um, Stress tends to be one that's a bit more difficult to control. um, And, uh, you know, it's something that is going to potentially impact you if you have chronically high stress levels. So uh, this is something you should monitor your own stress. You should monitor it. I'm a big fan of tracking anything that you can and anything that you're willing to track. And uh, you know that that can even include tracking how stressed out you feel. I know that may sound uh, a little crazy and that may even sound stressful, but paying attention to, uh when you're stressed how long you're stressed for and the things that are stressing you out can be really helpful if you want to recover optimally from the things that you're doing in your training program um you know some reasons that limiting stress is is kind of a no-brainer um you know first and foremost high stress is bad for your health so uh you know if you have bad health it's probably going to mean your fitness level decreases bad health kind of equals bad fitness then, then that's going to mean bad recovery and/or poor results because if your fitness level is bad, you're not going to be able to train as hard or as well, and so you're not going to see the results that you want, which can be demotivating. And you know, this whole thing can snowball in the wrong direction. So stress definitely plays a big role. Um, high stress also tends to lead to poor sleep. And in episode one, we already talked about how important sleep is. Um, so that's also a no-brainer. Um, stress also, you know, if you look at research that that cites stress in terms of in, re, in relation to your health and fitness, um, it tends to be linked to some pretty bad habits like emotional eating, um, excess weight gain, really struggling to adhere to your diet and the, the exercise program that you're working in. Um, and those aren't all necessarily recovery-related, but they kind of are, right? Because eating and your diet is going to be related to what you're putting in your body, which affects how you recover, your adherence to exercising. I mean, you know, if, if you want to make progress, and I assume that you do because you're listening to all this stuff about recovery – um, you want to have good performance, and so if stress impacts your performance, your performance is going to be lower, and then you know the. I suppose it's a lower recovery demand on your body, but it's just going to negatively impact the pursuit of what you're trying to do. So, if you if it you can find ways to limit stress, uh, you should do it. Um, cortisol is something that that we need to talk about when we're talking about stress. And it's something that you should be aware of if you're not familiar with what cortisol is. So it's the primary stress hormone in your body. And again, this is one of these areas where I'm not going to get into the science of it because I'm probably not even the best person uh, to try and talk about the science of it. But in general, the, the general gist of it is when you get stressed, Cortisol releases into the bloodstream, um, and that's perfectly normal to be clear. Like, that's how it's supposed to happen, and it's okay that it happens. But when stress is chronic and when cortisol is constantly elevated, that's what tends to be associated with the things like stress eating, you know, increased weight gain, bad nutritional decision making, lack of adherence with your workouts. And, and obviously, you want to be on point with those things. So that you can continue making progress. So um, it's not like, hey, I had one stressful day at work and then, oh, all of your progress and your recovery is ruined. Um, That's normal. Your body's equipped to handle that. Um, Your your brain and your body are going to be fine. But it's when cortisol is consistently elevated that um, you start to run into to more serious problems. So if you're just like having a, a stressful few weeks to a few months at work uh, or things at home are really stressful, whatever the case may be, that's when you can run into some issues and it can impair your not only your fitness but your recovery. So like how do we – reduce stress. It's it's much easier said than done, admittedly. And I'm going to talk about some things that, you know, practice what you pre- preach, Chris. You should uh, sometimes be better at this, but like doing things that bring you joy, right? So kicking your feet up and relaxing from time to time, maybe doing that on those rest days that we just talked about, um, going for a walk, reading a book, just generally doing things that you enjoy and allow you to decompress a little bit um, are great things for you to to do to to relieve stress. It could even be watching your favorite show or going to the movies, whatever the case may be, um, doing those things that you enjoy that kind of take you out of that stressed mindset and that stressed environment uh, can be really effective to help you manage your stress levels. But just be aware that stress plays a pretty significant role here if stress is chronically elevated, okay? And again, I know Easier said than done, but something to pay attention to and something to try to alleviate if you can. Next up is age, age and recovery. Let's talk about how old you are, which for people like me is becoming a sore subject. Your boy at the time of recording this is 36 years old. And uh, I definitely uh, over the past few years have noticed how much more important some of these things we've already talked about in parts one and so far here in part two um, all how much more important they're becoming and how much more dialed in they need to be for me to recover effic- efficiently and effectively and uh, continue to to make progress in the gym. Age absolutely plays a role in your recovery and that can be related to your biological age so how old you are like I'm 36 and also your training age so you know there's something about where you are in your fitness journey or in your strength training, journey your 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 experience level with lifting weights or doing cardio or whatever the case may be you know it tends to be that when you're in the beginner phase of your workout your fitness your exercise journey your body can adapt and recover more quickly and actually you see more progress more quickly earlier on in the journey, as opposed to the more you're consistent with it, the deeper you get into the journey, you actually have to work harder and harder for less and less results. Like the ROI goes down. You can still keep making progress. Don't get me wrong. And like, I've actually learned to find a lot of joy in having to work harder for less and less progress. It's kind of like masochistic, but it's, it is fun for me uh, and a lot of people, I think. Um, So like your training age. Factors into this as well. But in general, when you're younger, you can tend to kind of get away with things, right? You can train really hard and only get five hours of sleep and go out on the weekends and get hammered and not have to wake up uh, super hungover and eat only Chipotle and McDonald's. And like your body composition doesn't spin drastically out of control. Speaking from experience here, okay? But the older you get, the more important all of these details are going to be for your fitness journey and for you to recover effectively. So, many many people honestly fall into uh, plateaus as they get into their 30s and 40s. You know that's that's very common because it's often related to the the added responsibilities that we pick up as our lives progress. Right, most people, as you get into your 30s and 40s. Uh, you you have an established career, which probably means you have more responsibilities at work, um, which leads to finances uh, could be good or could be bad or could be in between. But you know, lots of stress around that, um, and just you know, more time and 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 effort have to be put into that aspect of things. Um, you, you may be starting a family. Lots of people start families and have kids in their thirties and forties. Um, your recovery demands become even more challenging, uh, and even higher. Typically the further you age, just because there's so much else that you need to be also taken care of. And that's legitimate. It just is. i, I I've mentioned this so many times on the podcast, but like every type of stress it, to your body in in your life every type of stress to your body is just stress your brain has to interpret all of it so it could be stress from training it could be stress from work from kids family finances whatever it may be stress is stress and your body has to and your brain has to find a way to get you back to baseline keep you efficient and and help you recover from all of these different stressors the older you age typically you pick up more of those stressors so the more important recovery becomes and the more challenging it gets. You just can't get away with those benders, those weekend benders and poor nutrition and no sleep. It's just very, very hard to do. Um, So the more you age, some of the things you need to think about, uh, potentially reducing the amount of days you train each week or reducing the amount of volume that you do in each training session. So it could be like you still train five days a week, but... Instead of doing seven exercises for three sets and 20 plus sets total, you're doing four or five, right? Like you're reducing the workload so that you aren't throwing so much at your body. And again, you can still keep making progress, but typically this is how it goes. Um, More closely monitoring your volume, volume and intensity. Kind of just mentioned that, um, taking more weekly rest days. And we already talked about how important rest is, but your body will need it. You may need to deload more frequently. So, um, you know, I still train five days a week and I still train pretty hard in those sessions. But you know, when I used to be able to do eight week training blocks, now I'm finding it's more like five or six weeks sometimes. And it kind of depends on how the block of training goes, but like I've gotten good at being able to listen to my body so that I know, okay, yeah, this is like, I'm getting some signs and symptoms from my body that says next week's a deload week for sure. Um, and then being more intentional and dialed in with the the details of your diet, right? So getting your protein in, making sure your calories are in line with your goals, uh, getting lots of whole nutritious food, foods like fruits and vegetables and fiber. Um, you know, those types of things become more important the, the, the greater you age because you're your recovery demands become higher. So uh, recovery definitely gets more challenging as you age. That's not to say that you can't keep making progress because you absolutely can. You're just going to need to be more responsible and dialed in with certain things as you get older so that you can keep making the progress that you want to make. And obviously that all comes from being able to recover from workout to workout. Okay. Let's talk about supplementation next. Um, and really there's not all that much to talk about here because I'm gonna be honest with you the vast majority of supplements on the market that uh, are marketed to recovery. So, like, you know, your ability to take a supplement after you work out and have it support muscle growth, strength gains, whatever it may be. The vast majority of the pro- pro- products on the market um, do not have a lot of evidence suggesting that, like, yes, they universally work. Um, there's really only two that I recommend, and those are the only ones that I'm going to dive into here. The first of which is a protein supplement. Um, for most people, as long as you don't have like a lactose intolerance or anything like that, and, uh, or, or if you're, you know, not, as long as you're not plant-based, uh, I recommend a whey isolate protein. Um, it's. Convenient to have around, makes it easier for you to hit your protein goals every day. And, um, you know, it's not like this magic thing where you got to have it after your workouts. Uh, It's not necessarily for that reason, but it's just helpful in getting enough protein in every day. A lot of people struggle to get protein in, and whey protein has been shown across the board to be able to help you build muscle. Get stronger and recover from your workouts. Like it's just plain and simple. There's not a lot of magic there. It's just protein that's really easy to consume. Okay, so protein is proven. I highly recommend it. Additionally, creatine, and, and specifically creatine monohydrate, is the most studied, tested, and proven supplement on the market um, to help with not only your performance, but your recovery. So I highly recommend people take that as well. Three to five grams a day, every day. Um, it'll help you recover from your workouts and have good performance in your workouts. Creatine is actually something that uh, your body naturally produces. So by supplementing with creatine, you're giving your body a bit more uh, for for your muscles to utilize, like that's as simple as I can put it, and uh, it's not something where you're gonna take it and feel like a like a totally different person or have this huge aha moment where you get stronger and and all of a sudden you can you know lift more weight uh, like magic. It's really just something um, that uh, you need to take consistently so that it kind of saturates your muscles. And you're not going to notice it, but it will help you if you take it consistently. And the biggest thing with creatine is consistency, okay? That will help you recover from your workouts. Other things like BCAAs, uh, collagen, glutamine, man, like testosterone boosters, different special multivitamins. I don't, whatever your supplement store is selling you, you probably don't need it, Um it you know yeah you probably don't need it i'll just leave it at that like there are some supplements that could give you an extra 1 to 2% but are they worth the money are they worth the confusion is it worth your time and especially like is it worth you to put all that money into a supplement like that if you haven't mastered the basics first probably not so there's not much else on the supplementation side of things that's going to re- improve your recovery more than just protein and creatine And I hope this can help simplify that for you. If you're focused on just taking those two things, uh, then you will be getting the best from the supplement industry in terms of actual muscular recovery. Okay, last piece to the puzzle. Let's dive into some of these additional like recovery modalities that may or may not actually work, but are very trendy and, and have become fads in some cases. Uh, there's a ton of these things that get brought up for better recovery from training. And I think like some of them have merit. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that any of these necessarily can't help you recover better, um, but they tend to lack one credibility. So, like research evidence that unanimously shows that these things work. Okay. That there's a lot of that lacking here. And additionally, a lot of these just aren't like practical. So if there are things where you have to spend a ton of money or have like really expensive equipment to do it, is that something you want to rely on for your recovery? It's probably going to be pretty tricky, pretty difficult. So let's dive into some of these things. Some of these are worth mentioning because they've been very popular in the industry. Uh, Number one, cryotherapy. First of all, it's kind of expensive to be able to use a cryotherapy chamber. I'm sure that you don't have one at your house. Um, So... It's expensive for you to do that consistently. I mean, if you're working out three to four times a week, which would mean like, I don't know, 12 to twelve to 15 to 20 times a month. Are you going to get cryotherapy every time after you go to the gym? I don't know that that's effective. I don't know that your uh, bank account is going to like that. Um, it's also not necessarily like proven to be all that effective, um, there's a, there's a, a lot of confusion surrounding whether or not like training and then going into a cryotherapy chamber and, uh, immediately having all the inflammation reduced from your body is actually a good thing for your body to adapt from training. Um, so like, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in it where it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, cold tubs kind of on the same line, they help reduce inflammation, which can be good. It also can complicate the process for recovery because honestly, like, in terms of how your body recovers from things when you train there's inflammation from that training in your body and people always talk about inflammation like it's a bad thing but it's it's not a, always a bad thing and in terms of recovery from training the inflammation is part of like the signaling process for your body to send the resources that your muscles need to actually recover. So the inflammation from training is often a good thing. Um, and like, do you want to blunt all of that immediately? I don't know. Um, I can see reasons for it. I can see reasons against it. So it's uh, you know it, it, it's something to consider. I don't know that it makes all that much sense. But cold tubs are like the biggest fad in the fitness industry right now. At the time of recording this episode, um, there are some benefits. There are some drawbacks. These tubs are really expensive. I'm blown away by how many people are spending thousands of dollars for like a bucket of cold water. It's a genius business plan uh, and and amazing marketing. Uh, It's not very enjoyable. Like, and I know that's part of the rationale is like you're doing something difficult. Um, But that's, you know, in terms of practicality, I don't know that everybody's going to be wanting to jump into cold tubs every day. Uh, And I don't know that it's inherently better for recovery or even necessary uh, for most people. So again, not necessarily the most practical uh, thing to do. Could it have benefits? It could, but like I, I don't know that any of those benefits are substantially better than the things that we've talked about so far in these two episodes about recovery. Sauna, basically the same reasons I just talked about, but the sauna's heat, right? So I'm not going to rehash everything I just said. It's not very practical. It's super expensive. I don't know that it's better. Okay. Plain and simple. Sauna, I don't know. Um, massage. There are acute benefits to massage, meaning like when you go to get a massage you typically have your muscles, uh, you know, feeling looser. Y- your body's feeling better. Your your joints feel better. All that good stuff. You know, the the typical things that you're looking for when you go to get a massage. You seem to have those benefits immediately after the massage. <coughs> but first of all, it's pretty pricey to get massages all the time. Uh, most people can't afford that. And what tends to be the case is like after the massage, you feel those benefits, but then like down the road, if you're not getting massages consistently, uh, or if you're not doing additional things on your own to stretch out those muscles, uh, or, or to massage them on your own, the, the muscles may tend to tighten back up because of the types of training that you're doing. So, um, you need to do it consistently, which becomes pretty expensive. And I'm not sure the cost is worth the potential benefits that you would receive from massage, which I feel like is why you see, massage consistently administered to like only professional athletes. Um, so that's something to consider with massage. Uh, compression garments are another thing. Um, so like a compression sleeve or compression shorts or compression socks. Um, they tend to be affordable. They're definitely more practical than some of the things that I just talked about. Um, but I'm not sure these are really proven to be drivers of recovery, even though they mark are marketed as such. I think more so they just kind of tend to serve as band-aids. Um, you know, if you put compression on any joint that is bothering you, it's going to make that joint feel a little bit better because compression garments, like the way I like to think about it is, you know, if you have bad knees and then you put knee sleeves on the knee sleeve is almost going to act like a bunch of additional tendons, uh, around your joint to assist you and, you know, squatting down and squatting back up or something like that. So, Like logically that's going to help you feel better, but I feel like it's just a band-aid on the problem and the compression garment isn't actually solving the issue for you. So sure, it makes you feel better, but that's not recovery. That's that's just a placeholder and you actually need to get to the root problem of what's causing you those issues. There's also a lot of wearable technology that gives you reports on how well you're recovering um, or recovery scores like Apple Watch Aura Ring, Whoop Bands, Garmins. Um, They try to predict for you whether you should train or shouldn't train, how recovered you are or are not. And uh, honestly, these just tend to not be very accurate at all. And I do think we're going to get to a point with technology where those devices will be able to do that. But right now, they, they they do not do a very good job and I've, I've tried a number of them. I'm pretty experienced with training at this point to tell you that like a lot of the times I'd wake up feeling fresh and, and ready to go and it tells me I'm not supposed to train today and it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I really think instead of using a device to tell you how recovered you are or how you feel and if you're okay to train today, I would say just do an audit of yourself every day when you wake up and say, okay, uh, how am I feeling today? Am I feeling tired? Am I feeling fatigued? Am I still really sore from my workouts? Am I drowsy? Am I lacking energy? Um, Am I lacking the desire to train? Like, oh, do I just not want to show up to the gym today? Um, if, If your answers are yes to a lot of those questions, then that's your answer. You shouldn't train today. But if you wake up and it's the flip side and you're like excited to train, you feel strong, you feel energized, you feel fresh, you you, you want to be in the gym, then once again, you, you've you probably answered your question. Uh, you're recovered. You're in a good place and, and you can go to the gym and train. Um, so all those things, and there's lots of others like them, but those are some of the ones that stick out to me as the most popular. And uh, I thought it would be good to run through those. They're more, I think, for the most part, things to consider if you're an athlete, like if if that's your life is athletics. Um, but for the average person like me and like probably you, I don't know that a lot of those things are are practical and, and really going to provide you with much of a benefit at all. Um, now, some that I do think can help and, and will help you uh, are things that are very practical and very proven to, to help You recover from workout to workout. Um, Number one, stretching, and 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 I don't mean stretching like right before or right after you lift weights or go for a run or whatever it may be. What I mean is like leisurely stretching when you have some downtime. I really like, you know, we normally do with the kids uh, before bed. We'll do like one show each night. And while my kids are watching the show, I'll get down on the floor and I'll do a few stretches, you know, hold some stretches for my hamstrings, my quads, my calves, stretch out my back a little bit, um, and just do like 30 to 60 second holds for each muscle group. And doing that consistently during like my leisure time, I have found has really helped my muscles and my joints feel better. Okay. So that's something that I do think is very practical. And we obviously know from decades of people (laughs) stretching that it can be a good thing for your body. Um, mobility work kind of falls into the same thing. So in addition to those stretches that I do, I will do some mobility stuff as well. And the difference between stretching and mobility, mobility is really like, um, Active stretching is another way to to categorize it. It's you kind of moving in different ways that helps your body feel good. But you're not exercising, okay? You're not squatting and pressing and rowing and deadlifting and all this stuff. You're doing things to like maybe open up your hips or, or, you know, get your back – uh, feeling a bit more mobile. Um, so mobility is something that also is very practical, doesn't cost you anything, and it can have uh, really good returns if you do it consistently. And the last thing that I think is good is something called myofascial release. Um, and what that is, it's basically like massage that you give to yourself. And so what I'll often do, uh, and, and I think the, the way most people administer it, is like getting something like a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball. And you can go on Amazon and just look up, you know, lacrosse balls for for massage. And there's a bunch of them that you can buy for super cheap. Uh, but like getting down on the floor, using a lacrosse ball and wherever you have tenderness or a sore muscle or a tight joint, kind of letting your body weight rest on that ball so that it's applying pressure to the tender area. And by applying pressure, it can often actually cause your muscle to relax a little bit. And this is another one, just like stretching, just like mobility. If you do these things consistently, it can lead your muscles to lengthen and stay in that lengthened position. It can lead your joints to Open up a bit more and have you just feel more mobile. Um, so I'm a big fan of myofascial release, and if that's not something that you have done, but you struggle with nagging aches or pains or tightness, uh, it's really, really effective. It truly is. It, it's that and that that's what I do. It's my nightly routine: is stretching, mobility, myofascial release. Sometimes I do all three if I need them. Sometimes I'll just do one. It's really based on how my body is feeling at that time, but. Having some type of routine like that uh, is something that can absolutely help your recovery. Because if you think about it, if you're helping your body and your bones and your joints and your muscles feel fresher, feel looser, feel more mobile, that's going to lead to better performance in your training session the next day. It's going to lead you to actually wake up the next day and want to train or feel like you can train. Um, and so like from a recovery standpoint, that's a big deal because we talked about it earlier. For training, you want to be able to train consistently and make progress consistently for as long as you possibly can until you have to deload. So doing these types of things can help you accomplish that. And uh, I would highly suggest you incorporate things like stretching and mobility and myofascial release uh, ahead of maybe some of those much more costly, uh, ineffective, uh, non-practical options uh, that we ran through just a few minutes ago. And that does it. I am super excited to wrap up the recovery bonanza. I hope that you have enjoyed enjoyed this episode and I hope you enjoyed episode number one. Again, if you haven't checked that out, make sure that you do. Uh, Looking at the clock here, I think it's like... An hour and a half to two hours total on everything recovery. I think we covered it all, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I appreciate you being here and listening. If you found this helpful, this series helpful, really would appreciate if you could go to wherever you watch or listen this pod, listen to this podcast leave a five-star rating and review. I don't really know how it helps, but I'm told that it does. And uh, I would appreciate you doing that. What I gather is that if you do that, the more positive reviews this podcast gets, the more chance of it getting suggested to other people, which means we get the right information in front of as many people as we can uh, in regards to health and wellness and fitness. And uh, that's my goal. So uh, if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. And again, There is a link to my coaching page in the show notes. So if you are interested in getting some help, not only with your recovery, but in creating a customized uh, training and nutrition plan and getting support every step of the way to reach the goals that you have. Uh, You hit that coaching link, head over to my website, submit an application, and we can talk more uh, about what a program might look like for you. But uh, until then, and until the next episode, I really had a blast with this. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found value, and uh, I hope you will tune into the next episode. Talk to you soon.